Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the long and torturous nightmare is over. It is finally election day. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you uh, here in the USA. It is Election Day, the year 2020. And finally, it's here. Thought this would never end. Uh, No, it's not rant time. Um, In uh, pipe parts uh, this week, because the weather's getting cold out there, I'm going to talk about uh, what not to do with your pipe in the cold. And then my guest is uh, Rob and uh, Julius Vez. Yeah, we did a... uh, uh, It's going to be a two-parter, and you're going to get the first part this week and the second part next week, and it's a conversation with... uh, Rob with Julius and uh, Rob, his son, and just you know a, a ton of history and some great stories. And I got a, finally got a chance to get to talk to Julius, and it was just a real treat. So you get to hear uh, two parts of that this week, and then again next week. Uh, and then we'll have uh, music, mailbag, and rant. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, um, yeah, for those of you here in the United States, yeah, it's uh, it's finally election day. And the uh, election has been uh, going on now for, it seems like, <laughs> seems like two years. The two years of running. And now it will be finally over. And that will be, uh, that means that we'll figure out what's happening with it going forward. So there you go. Uh, it's also November, which means, uh, full fall weather here and full outdoor weather, you know, outdoors during the day and then back inside at night. So hope you've adjusted your tobacco flow for, uh, for the weather now. All right, uh, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And for pipe parts, um, it's cold outside. Yeah, it's getting cold outside. So here are some things, uh, some do's and don'ts for you from uh, from me for cold weather and pipes. Uh, one, I think about 45 degrees Fahrenheit is the magic number. So you don't want to leave your pipe sitting outside in weather that's going to get down below 45, you know, just say 50 and be safe. Uh, Don't leave it sitting outside for a long time, uh, just sitting there hanging out doing nothing or leave it overnight or leave it in your car. Don't do any of that if the weather's going to be down below 50 degrees, all right? And here's what happens, because cold constricts 
So when things get uh, when things get cold, they contract in or contract down, and when things get hot, they expand. So your pipe is really meant to be smoked and warmed up like that, and it's really meant to be kind of at room temperature, yeah, or standard temperatures. If you leave your pipe outside overnight and it gets down in the 40s or the 30s, well, you can come back to it the next morning and have a very loose stem. And that's not going to really hurt the pipe unless you pick the pipe up by the stem and the bowl falls off. Then you've got a problem, uh, especially if you hurt the bowl. Uh, or you pick up the pipe and the stem just slips off and then it chips or cracks. So if you accidentally leave your pipe outside for too long without it being smoked or without it being in your pocket or something like that you want to kind of gently bring it back up to room temperature so bring it inside the house let it warm up for a little bit maybe a half hour or so before you really start uh, you know thinking about smoking it uh, but you just want to make sure that it's going to be okay uh, if you're going to smoke a pipe outside and in the cold weather, uh, this is not the time to have your really thin bold, uh, your thin walled pipes out there. Because again, what you're doing is you're, when you go outside and you light the pipe, the pipe's getting cold and then the pipe gets hot and then it contract, it, it expands and it contracts, it expands and it contracts. Uh, so you want to make sure that you've got you know, one of my, my favorite measurement is a quarter inch of wood all the way around. Well, I've never had problems with the bowls cracking because of you know, expanding and contracting due to heat and cold. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're not using your really thin walled pipes while you're out smoking in the cold. All right. Uh, the other thing you got to be careful with is when you're out in the cold and your pipe's cooling down is the cake inside may become a little more fragile because again you're changing the shape of it by cooling it down dramatically so you could get pieces that flake or fall off so you just you just want to you just want to kind of be careful with that um if you're going to be running around and you know and say you want to you know say you're smoking in your car and you're driving to the mall and or whatever for christmas shopping or whatever you're doing and it's going to be cold outside well you know i would suggest yeah you know you can leave the pipe in the car for a little bit but if you're going to be out there for a couple hours you know you really want to be careful when you come back to the car and light up the pipe again because again you're heating and contracting and expanding so if you can you know put your pipe in your little pipe bag throw it in your pocket take it in the store with you uh you know or put a little cap on the bowl and uh, let it go out, carry it into the store with you. And that way you're not worrying about the cold temperatures outside, especially for those of you that live up in sub freezing areas. I mean, that's a big dramatic change that you want to try to avoid. Uh, and finally, you know, I've always talked about how my tobacco taste switch during the weather uh, cold weather, a lot of people will switch, uh, will start smoking uh, more English blends this time of the year. Uh, cold weather, I switch and I can't, I really don't enjoy a straight Virginia this time of the year. So I switch to 
my standard and then maybe add in a some heavier Virginia Periques. And a lot of that is because the cold weather changes our palates. So if you've been in a rut, now is a time for you to take a you know, take a shot at a blend that you didn't that maybe you tried over the summer and you didn't like. So try it out now that the weather's changed. See how it works for you. Uh, you know, give those give those other blends a try. Uh, I know some people that switch because they don't want to they they don't want to smoke outside anymore, so they'll switch to aromatics when they come inside, and that would be uh, you know that would be another change, and you you have to work with those blends, um, and then finally the last bit on this. The cold weather is miserable for meerschaums because meerschaums are not nearly as durable, in my opinion, as a briar pipe is. So be real careful with your meerschaums out in the cold weather. All right, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, the beginnings of my discussions with Julius Vez and his son, Rob. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. And we are back. And before we get started, let me set this up for you. So this was done in two different recording sessions. One was uh, with Julius and Rob. And Rob was there mainly to help uh, because Julius has some hearing loss over years of working working around uh, pipe making tools. Uh, and then there was another session with Rob, uh, just the two of us. So you're going to hear them kind of mixed in with each other, just kind of jump around and follow around. There's a lot of really good information in here, so if you have to stop and rewind and listen to it again, do that. Uh, Julius has been involved in making pipes uh, for over 60 years. He's 87 years old now and is still making a pipe or two a day and is just an incredible force of nature. So... Here's my conversations with uh, Julius Vez and his son, Rob. So maybe, Mr. Vez, can you just tell us where where did you grow up and 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 how did you get to Canada? Well, I grew up in Hungary and I immigrated to Canada during the 1950s revolution. And uh, so I, I've been here for 63 years in Canada. But I'm from Hungary. I was 23 years old when I arrived here. Wow. And did you have anything to do with pipes or pipe tobacco when you were in yeah, Hungary? My, my, grand, my grandfather was making pipes 
Milsom pipes basically for himself and not too many other people. But then he eventually ended up uh, getting business from other people. And that's the way the connection I have. And when I came to this country, this country was an Anglo-Saxon country. Every second person on the street was smoking a pipe. (laughs) And I always wanted to do something on my own. And um, so I offered my services to uh, several places, department stores, and and then eventually I met uh, Richard Donhill at Mm. the Donhill Humidor in Toronto. And Mr. Donhill gave me the repair service for Canada. So that's my beginning. So tell me, how did how did you meet Mr. Dunhill? He was visiting three stores. We had three stores in Canada: one in Toronto, one in Montreal, and one in Vancouver. And once a year, for public relations, he visited these stores, and that is the way I met him in the store. I know. I heard on the radio he was coming, and I went there and I met him in the store. Wow! And was was he uh, was he very British and very formal with you? Well, I was doing the bag repair service for forty years. Before that, I used to send all the Dunhill bags back to England because all the stems on Dunhill bags were hand cut, and nobody could make the hand cuts them for them in Canada or any even a repair at that time. He was very British, but he was a very kind man. And uh, he asked me to see uh, the sales manager of the company who represented them in Canada. And uh, Bill Connolly was his name. The very next day I went to see him and he said, I, Mr. Donville told me about you. And he gave me two dozen pipes to repair and uh, wanted to see what I'm going to do. And they were very happy for the work I did for them. And I've been doing the repair service for them in Canada pretty close to uh, 40 years. So how did you learn how to do the do the pipe restoration? Well, because I had my own shop in my own basement. <laughs> I worked out of my house in my basement. That was the beginning before I had any commercial locations. Well, I was self-taught, and basically some of the finishes and things that I seen my grandfather doing, and and there's no other, and I had to do a lot of investigations, and I had to gather some information on the subject. Wow. So then you become... I can tell you that I'm sort of self-taught, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's the way it happened. Nobody's teach me to, uh, to do anything. When did by you... the way, by this month I'm gonna turn 87. So I've been making working, make working on pipe for 63 years, my friend. Wow. When did you begin making Vez pipes? Um, in 1962. And did you have any experience before that making pipes? No, I was all done by myself. I was all gathering information on the subject. I did a lot of reading up on subjects, and that's the way it happened. And thank God I had the dexterity and uh, probably the God-given talent to do this, okay? And then I'm supposed to be 
the best pipe maker in the world. There's some, I have a manuscript here from the Pipe Smokers International that they regard me as the best pipe maker. <laughs> and and one of the one of the longest lasting pipe makers ever. Well, I've been around. I don't think you'll find too many guys that uh, have been making pipe for sixty three years. But if you anytime can approach, I did. I was dealing with Opton Smoke Shop in Nashville. Yeah, I did tremendous tremendous business with them. Actually, I put them into the pipe business, and. Um, Keith Moore was the man who was uh, responsible for it, and uh, and uh, they made a video on me, and I have a copy of the video. I can send you a copy, and you can you can actually a copy of it, and you can send it back because I only have maybe one or two of them. And there you would he did uh, background music is by uh, Phil Kagi, who's a, a well-known uh, Nashville guitar player. He provided the back uh, some music for the for the video, so maybe I, I I want you to see that and it's showing step by step the way I was working. Okay, so yeah. you will get some information from there also, and then all the information and the interview what I had with this man it's on that video. Okay. So at first you were working from your house. When did you open the store at the Royal York Hotel? Well, I moved on town in 1961, and I worked in a third-floor place. I had 1,200 square foot, and I only occupied maybe 200. But the rent was very cheap, and I wanted to move downtown because I knew that that's where eventually my business is going to come from. And I had three locations from there. Uh, this the first location was 108 Wellington. From there, I moved to 76 York Street. was right across the street from there. And from there, I moved to 44 York Street. And 44 York Street building was situated the west side of the Royal York Hotel. And I put up a sign outside and the buses were coming in from the airport. And so that is the way I established an international business. The local Canadian pipe maker named Brigham, probably you heard of them. Yeah. They've gone out of business a long time ago because they were entirely based on Canadian business. And when this whole flare of anti-smoking came, he <clears throat> was in business since 1923, they put him out of business. And I would have been out of business, too, if it was not located in the Royal Oak Hotel. And I've been in, located in that hotel for 36 years. Until three years ago, they gave me a notice, and they asked me to move out, gave me three months' notice. I had to move out of the place. Mm. So I moved into my house. They converted my double garage into a, a pipe shop, and all the surrounding I had in the back room, you can probably then Leclerc can tell you about it because he came up to see me here. He saw my store in the Royal York and uh, they recreated the same atmosphere what I had in the Royal York Hotel. So that is what I'm stating, but it's a very boring life, especially when this uh, virus came around. You know, I can't see any people. Yeah. You know, I don't want to die of this virus, you know, <laughs> at my age. 
You know, it was Trump, I watched Trump time to time. Apparently in your country, 80% of the people who died, they were all oldest citizens yeah. from nursing homes. So it's very hard to, it's an underlying conditions, heart and diabetes and things, you know. So I try to stay away from people, you know. So Rob Vez, son of son of Julius, um, you're you're heavily involved now in the website and kind of the the technical side of uh, of Vez pipes. If I got if I understand that right, uh, yeah, we've we've had a couple of different websites. The newest one was developed in the last two years or so. Um, uh, I mean, I personally am not a super techie person. I have a webmaster who. Who does the um, uh, you know, takes the images and, and so on and, and, and manages things? But uh, beyond that, the uh, the contact is all with me through the website and uh, and you know. So ultimately, some people prefer uh, getting uh, in touch with me uh, via phone. But um, yeah, try to try to bring my dad's uh, craft, his art. Uh, a little bit more to the to the masses, if you can even say, you know, pipe smokers, masses, whatever. It's it's more of a, a niche market. But um, uh, he's never been into um, self promoting. It's always been word of mouth with him, and I and I I really feel it's important to to get him out there. To uh, as, as much as he's been around for sixty plus years, there are people who don't really know uh, what he does. They may have heard his name, uh, so on, but. He, he makes some incredible pipes, and, and that's really why I'm, I've done this website. It's not so much about money or anything like that. It is growing. It's, it's, it's getting busy, but I just want people to appreciate who he is and what he does. And we'll be back with more in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, We've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. So what other, besides your own pipes, what other pipes did you sell in your store? I never sold anybody. I'm not prejudiced, but I never had no reason to sell anybody else's pipes. And I'm nothing against them, but uh, I think they were coming against me when 40 years ago, the industry uh, ran out of dead root briar. But, uh, no, I don't know if you ever heard the terminology. The industry used up the dead root first because that was the real McCoy. And after that, they used green briar. So the briar root was still alive when they took the briar out of the ground. And those pipes doesn't smoke the same. 
So yeah, tell us the difference between the so the dead root was a plant that had died in naturally. Well, not naturally. That's right. I have a root, as example here. It's five hundred years old. Wow. So that was. No, I mean, you should come up to see my place if you want to get some. I can tell you about these things till tomorrow morning. You know, there would be a lot to say, and I know you need. Uh, as much information as uh, what you can gather from me, but uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of information I can't uh, I can't provide you from uh, through the telephone. You know. Yeah. So the when did when did you so do you still have dead root briar or is it all gone? All I have is dead root, and I think that my son Rob's going to end up with it, and one day it's going to it's worth like gold. Nobody has them. And he still, he still has he still has quite a bit. I mean, you know, for a single pipe maker, certainly he could continue to make pipes pipes for many many years with uh, this aged uh, briar that he has. Um, so there's he he bought a lot of it many many years ago. What about 40, 50 years ago? You bought forty years ago was the last time I bought Deadwood briar. Wow. Yeah, and I was <laughs> the first source was Algier, French Algier. And they run out over there, and they went to Calabria. It was a very good briar. And the, in Calabria, they ran out of it. And then they went to Greece. And Greece was the last country I was uh, getting dead root briar. And that was done there, too. There was no more dead root. See, what happened, they took this light root out of the ground, and they sliced them to different sizes of blocks. And they boiled the blocks into big cattles, tried to kill the life in the briar. And then they dug a huge big hole in the ground, and they dumped these wet, boiled blocks into underground, and they covered it up with dirt. And periodically, was taking some dirt off the top. They wanted to have the briar naturally and slowly dry. Otherwise, they would have all cracked. And that is the briar what they use today. Wow. Dead root. Dead root. That's, uh, that's, that's the name of it. Dead root. Not, well, not dead root. Uh, green wood. Green briar. Right. And it, in the taste of the pipe is different? No, it's no comparison. The characteristics of a, of a green briar is it's very hard to break the pipe in. Mm-hmm. The pipe smoke wet. And it develops uh, like a a wet look on the top of the bowl. And that pipe will never, you can put the sex into an inch carbon, but all pipe has to have to to be broken in. It was going to make no difference at all. Uh, And then one of the young people, I don't know how long you are, but a lot of people in the States, they bought estate pipes for that reason, because they know they were still made out of dead root. Yeah. And you see, so that is just that's your story, you know. And the, the green wool is never gonna. A young guy who never smoked a dead root briar, you would never know the difference because he can't compare it to anything else. Is the dead root briar? Is it easier to make a pipe with? Is it easier to make a pipe? Out of no, it has no bearing. The making of it has no bearing at all. No. 
technology just is, is not more difficult to use. No, no. The, the, yeah. the workmanship and everything is the same. Actually, I can put front of you two pipes made out of what bend root and one out of Greenbrier. There's no way you can tell the difference. They smoke differently, though. They smoke different, yes. A cooler smoke and... Uh, to a person who... who also, we never smoked anything that but the red dryer. If you smoke the first green dryer, you will tell the difference. Yeah. Can you talk us through the different designations? I mean, there's hand cut, handmade, craft briar, and maybe give us the difference between those. Yeah, that uh, like way back when initially, uh, when he started up in the early '60s, um, he used the name Craft, and his pipes were branded Craft. And around 1966, he decided that he was going to put his name on the pipes instead. And that from that point forward, it, Julius Vess was on the pipe. Um, and Kraft was no longer on there. And then he had a numbering system for a while. But it, it, he moved into two categorizations, handmade, which tend to be uh, more the standard uh, shapes. They, they're more medium sized to smaller pipes. Um, uh, they are, um, they're still made out of the aged root. I mean, that's all he has. Uh, tend to be more rusticated than smooth because if there are flaws and so on, uh, uh, you know, the, he can work with it that way. Um, at one time, there was handmade one, two, three, four. Each one was the lowest price, two, three, four, you know, uh, higher priced. Um, he's now actually at this point only making up to ha only making handmade fours, which are $195. So that's kind of the, the starting uh, price of his, his new pipes now. Um, hand cut are what he would call his free hands. Now, some of them are still traditional shapes uh, and so on, but uh, like raindrops, for example, are all hand cut. Um, wow. And they would be, um, uh, again, rusticated, smooth, whatever. You'll, you'll have a tendency to see more smooth and uh, uh, natural finishes in the hand cuts just because the, the wood is unflawed, it's, it's unblemished, they've got beautiful grain, bird's eye, whatever. Uh, he does have some choice blocks of wood that um, that are older, or like he had some Algerian that he was uh, saving up, uh, uh, some plateau, that sort of thing, that that he saves for hand cuts only. So even though all the wood is aged, the hand cut uh, blocks are kind of have a, a special place with him, and um, and they. Uh, they start at circle three, the way they're termed is hand cut circle three, circle four, circle five, etc. cetera. Uh, so each number denotes uh, a pricing increase. And um, uh, that's how they're, that's how they are graded. And it's very subjective. I mean, he knows the block of wood. He knows how old it is. He knows where it came from. Uh, he knows how much work obviously puts into it, ornamentation, bands, et cetera. Uh, that will affect the pipe, uh, the price of the pipe. Yeah. Um, and then recently, we uh, uh, an idea I had a couple of years ago is I said, Dad, why don't you bring back the craft name? You know, just a limited run of pipes that are branded craft again, which uh, harkens back to the early days. And uh, 
So now we have some of those on the website, and uh, I, I don't think there'll be many more. Uh, again, it was just kind of a limited run, uh, and that's where craft fits in. In your stores, did you also sell tobacco? Boy, I sold. I, I had my a, a private label Cuban cigars also. I had Cuban cigars. So how do you get a private label Cuban cigar? Do you do you talk to Fidel Castro? Because the, 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 the Cuban uh, tourist people came to see me from a store manager from Havana, and they personally contacted them, and they were making cigars for me. But after a while, they discontinued sell with anybody else but the distributor. So that was the end of uh, the cigar business. I had to buy the cigars from the local distributor. Wow. So you would also sell pipe tobacco and other tobacco products? I always had pipe tobaccos. I had 20 different blends, natural and aromatic tobaccos. And I still have three aromatic tobaccos. What the, the lane tobaccos, you heard of them? Yeah. And then I have, uh, I have three natural tobaccos. Um, totally pure tobacco, Virginia Flake, and the Bullseye it has uh, Perique in it, and I have a Navy Flake. That's all the tobaccos I have now. My, my father was also in the tobacco business earlier with McBaron. Well, he, he, he represented McBaron in Canada, so that... Uh, I represented McBaron, who a, a, had a partner, a Norwegian guy, who became uh, the deputy minister of... Uh, the Department of Hobbies of Canada, and uh, we were distributing McBaron tobaccos in Canada for 12 years. And then Imperial Tobacco was the biggest British American tobaccos company in Canada. They knew that we were cutting into their business, and they took the business away from us. They put us out of business. So you, you've also been not only involved in pipe making, but in pipe and tobacco selling, and then importing and distributing. Well, that's what I, that's what I did. I know as much about tobaccos and cigars as I know about pipes. So were those were those blends that, of pipe tobacco that you had, was that custom blends that you made for the store? No, I never blended. They had to buy those specific, I coded each blend, like the lane tobaccos, I coded each blend with a different number, and that's the way they were buying it for me. If you want one hundred blend, one with another, I could do that. But and the government is a very strict regulation for that in Canada. Yeah. You can't do blending. Can we? Uh, how did you develop your raindrop shape? Well, that, that, that is my signature pipe. Yeah. This, these are the pipes uh, I designed and made for Uptown Smoke Shop. And they sold a lot of them. I did a lot of business for years. Uh, this Phil Kagi was playing in Toronto with his band, the, the guitar player. And when he went to Nashville, he went to see these people in the uh, uh, Uptown Smoke Shop and asked them to say, you should approach Julius because I have two or three pipes for him and they uh, smoke fantastic. And that is the time when this Keith Moore approached me from Uptown Smoke Shop, and eventually he came up to see me. He made the video, and I 
He gets all the knowledge for me on pipes. He didn't know nothing about pipes. And uh, so uh, that's what happened. I did a lot of business with them. That Brian was asking about why you developed the raindrop. You did it for a functional reason. Yes, because I do course work. I made it for myself. I wanted to keep the pipe out of my vision. Mm-hmm. I do course work when I'm working. So the pipe was hanging down down below my chin. So I can, it's totally balanced. You do, you have no way to this, this, this bend totally breaks the weight down. You're not gripping. You're not holding like you're holding at a any bent to a straight pipe. And that is the way the, the raindrop came by. And that is the most of the 90% of the pipe I saw to up, up down. I made a two, three dozen beautiful different silver bands, but what's called custom uh, casted silver bands. And uh, they had requests what band they wanted to have. And the silversmith who made all the bands for me. And uh, by the time I send them the pipes, they were all sold without the people knew what they were getting. <laughs> it, your raindrop is a very distinctive shape. If I see one, I can tell exactly that it's a Julius Vez pipe. Yeah, well, like I said, that's my signature pipe. Did you... I'm, maybe I missed this, but did you, do you do all the silver work as well? Uh-huh. Do, do you do the silver work as well? No, I'm just I was just telling you that I had a silversmith who did the work for me. Okay. Because you also you have included on your pipes some beautiful silver bands that look more like art and jewelry than just silver. Well, many of the silver beans were made. They're one of a kind. The, the, the silversmith did the engraving and beeswax, and then he made the, from the beeswax he made a mold. And he cut the, casted the band, and after that, the, the mold was destroyed. So we only made one, one, one band, wow. most of the cases. Um, Plus, my father, my father had some very old antique bands as well that he... Uh, from Europe, from that, my grandfather, that, yeah. Right, that he used as well, some of which he still has. That's I, I, I love the, the family heritage continuing through on that. Yeah. 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 Do you know in, in your dad's prime about how many pipes a day he was making? Because I mean, it was not a prolific amount. No, no. He takes his time. Um, you know, he gave me, that's a good question. Um, he, uh, I, at one time he gave me an approximate number because he's never, he's never cataloged or categorized, right? He, he doesn't count the number of pipes he makes, but, um, I, and it all depends on whether it's a handmade and and so on. And uh, but I would I would say at his peak, um, he could perhaps uh, make a couple of pipes a day, something like that. You know, uh, again, if it's if it's a hand cut like a raindrop or something, that that takes more time. Yeah. But if he's uh, making the standards, quote unquote, um, and uh, they're smaller or they're uh, and then, and, then, and then what I'm saying, it, it's also, it's staged. Like, for example, he'll carve it, and that'll take a, a certain amount of time. Then he'll, and then he'll do that with a number of bowls. And then he'll move on to the, stain, the staining, et cetera, et cetera. So really, 
That's uh, it's a tough question. Like uh, a single pipe will not be made in a day. It'll a certain number of blocks might be cut, and then the next day he'll go on to staining and so on and so forth. Uh, he'll cut the stems. So, so perhaps at his peak, um, he he may have made a, a a few hundred pipes a year, something like that. Wow. So he actually it, yeah. So, that, I mean, this is something that's different because he would do it in kind of a production style where he was working on a, you know, the same process on a couple of different pipes and then take them to the next process and work them in the and work them in right. stages. Uh, right. And that would have been more, again, the handmaids when he was making the standards uh, when he's working on a, on a real special uh, hand cut. Um, he will often take it from beginning to end. Uh, because it, it is a uh, not that there isn't art to a standard pipe, but um, uh, there's a, a degree of focus and art to, to making one of these special raindrops, for example, or a freehand that that would require him to just focus on that one pipe alone. Yeah, and and there's a level of efficiency when you're when you're doing it that way. And that will wrap up part one of the visit with Julius Vez. And again, part two, we'll pick up right where we left off, but we'll do that again next week. And we'll be back with the show in just a moment. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, the website for to see Julius's pipes is Vez, V-E, szpipes.com vezpipes.com um, the, there's a whole bunch of pipes up there right now so take a look uh, you know again a chance to get a pipe from a uh, from a true living legend of a pipe maker all right for music uh, Julius said he sold a pipe to Ella Fitzgerald so uh, how about uh, they can't take that away from me sung by Ella Fitzgerald with uh, Louis Armstrong on there too The way you wear your hat The way you sip your tea The memory of all that No, no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beams The way you sing off key the way you haunt my dreams No, no, they can't take that away from me We may never, never meet again On the bumpy road to love Still I'll always, always keep the memory of the way 
we dance till three The way you've changed my life No, no, they can't take that away from me No, they can't take that away from me The way you wear your hat Where you sip your tea The memory of all that No, no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beams The way you sing of key The way you haunt my dreams No, no, they can't take that away from me We may never, never meet again On the bumpy road to love Still I always, always keep the memory of yes, The way you hold your knife We dance till three Where you change my life No, no, they can't take that away from me No, they can't take that away from me Swing it, boy Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong. I mean, wow, talk about power. You've got some mail. In the mailbag, if you have a comment or question, you can email me directly, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com, or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, uh, just like uh, Casey Ghost did here, and he said regarding last week's show with Chris, uh, Dan says, a good interview with an interesting person. I continue to be surprised at the pipes various people collect. 
To me, Ashtons are akin to basket pipes. This is probably because as I joined the KC Pipe Club, they had already commissioned an Ashton pipe from Bill Taylor. As it was a straight, I wasn't interested, but he had totally botched the job to boot. They had to send them back to England to get them fixed. At this stage of Bill's life, he was much more interested in consuming alcohol than making pipes. I believe he died within two years of the event. Such is life, but it tarnished his memory to me. Uh, the report from NPR was of interest to me and probably other smokers, but not to the faceless horde of accusers out there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I'll add in there, um, uh, there's also, there's four independent uh, report, uh, four independent research researches or <laughs> tests going on. Uh, Greece, France, England, and one in California that are trying to see how nicotine and uh, COVID-19 work out because it, it appears that uh, daily nicotine users are at lower risk. Um, also, uh, James writes, uh, really enjoyed your last show, particularly the interview with Mr. Tarman since it came on the same day I, I received my first Ashton from eBay. I have 80 plus pipes in my collection, but I have a way to go to rival his collection. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't. Uh, yeah, a hundred pipes from the same pipe maker. I mean, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. All right, a little light on the mailbag. So again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. Remember, if you're planning on traveling anywhere and you want my advice, yeah, hit me up. I'll help you out the best I can. Give you all the free advice you want. All right, in just a moment, rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. in uh, well if you don't want a lesson in politics or uh, or government and you don't want my opinion on that we'll go ahead and end the show right now go ahead click are you done okay good all right here you go the United States of America is the time this show is going out some of the polling places for the uh, for the election are closing and some of the final results will be posted and available well here's my problem first of all, uh, this is not a democracy. A, uh, this is a republic. And this is a republic because we vote for the people that then go and vote and make our and make decisions for us. Therefore, they are of the public or republic. It is not a true democracy. So the only time that we really, as U.S. citizens, have any say in 
how things are going to happen is by voting and voting for the people that we want to represent us or republic us in the governments. So therefore, I am always surprised when I see, uh, first of all, I see people call this a democracy. Well, it isn't. It's a republic. And second of all, I'm always surprised to see the amount of people that do not vote in an election. The amount of people that do not vote in an election. The numbers of people that I have seen or heard of personally that are saying, oh, I'm in my 60s and this is the first time I've ever registered to vote. Well, you're an idiot and we were doing fine without you. Don't come and register to vote, all right? You know, 60, 60 years old, you could have been voting for 40 years here in the United States. 40 plus. What the hell were you doing for all that time? Yeah, you know what? Just stay at home, all right? Just do me a favor. Stay at home. We don't need you. But again, voting in the United States is the only way that you have any choice over what happens in the uh, in your governments. And therefore, it is not only it is a is it a privilege, it's a right and it should be a requirement. <laughs> However, don't get me started on it should be an informed requirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to take a test and uh, you have to study in order to drive a car, but to vote, all you have to do is register and show up. Uh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Enough of that. Um, hope everybody is doing as well as possible. It is the fall season and I hope you're getting a chance to get outside and smoke your pipe and get a chance to relax and get away from things with your pipe. Um, it, we are in the process of, well, we're getting ready for the Christmas season. So if you have a suggestion for holiday music that you would like to hear on the show, please let me know. It's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at pipesmagazine.com, or you can post it anywhere. Uh, follow me on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and please make sure and share out the Pipes Magazine radio show to all your uh, Facebook friends, Instagram friends, forum friends, you know, all those people that might be interested in listening, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much to Julius and Rob Vez for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Till we meet You are the leading asshole in the state.